What a dramatic ending. Did you guys see any like that? How? You guys read the Bible or something? I don't know. Awesome. Hey, so here's what I want you to do. Turn to the person next to you. And here's the question. If you had one final meal, last meal of your entire life, what would it be? All right, turn and tell your neighbor. I'm going to set some things up. One final meal. And a tree. Yeah, I got a tree. All right. That works. All right. What were some of the answers? What are some final meals you guys would have? What, what is it? Old Spaghetti Factory. Yeah. Do you guys just like sit in the train inside the Old Spaghetti Factory? I love that. All right. Uh, right here. What's up? Seafood? All right. All right. What kind of seafood? Like sushi or? Any seafood. All right. Right here in the corner. Yeah. Lucky Charms. I don't care. I'm going to die. I'm going to eat Lucky Charms. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Right there. Yep. Olive Garden. Yes. The breadsticks. They're pretty bomb. They're pretty bomb. Yeah. Steak. Oh, some surf and turf. Some steak and lobster. Right, last one right here. On the, yep. Yep. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Wagyu steak, like straight out of Japan massaged cows on a specific diet. Okay, that's good. That's it. That's all I got. So here's why, here's why I bring that up. Because if you were to have your final meal, it's the last meal that you were ever going to have. You knew it was the last meal you were ever going to have. You would choose your favorite meal. You would eat the best thing, the most expensive thing, the most delicious thing. If it's Lucky Charms or seafood or steak, right? You're going to go for it because it's your favorite. But if you were also having the final conversation because you knew that you were about to go, like Moses was about to go, he knew if you were going to have the final words with your best friends or with your family, your loved ones, you would also say the most important things. Wouldn't you? These are my final words. I got to tell you everything. And so on those final moments, you would tell them how much you love them. You would tell them how meaningful they are to you. Tell them everything that's inside your heart because this is your last shot. This is your last meal. These are the last things that you would do. And so you would always save the best for last and you would say the most important things. And this is what we see in this passage right now. So have your Bibles, throw it up in the, er, er. all right, by the way, there are less Bibles now. Throw your Bibles up. Who's got their Bibles? Awesome. All right. Now open up to the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah, we're switching it up. Book of Deuteronomy. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Awesome. Like I yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to uh, the table of contents if you need it. And then you can flip forward to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And while you're turning there, I need to shout some people out. So if you are a teacher, a leader, or a parent, could you guys stand up? Teacher, leader, parent, could you guys stand up? If you're a leader here, can we give them a round of applause? (laughs) Guys, they lost countless hours of sleep for you. 
They smelled smells that they wish they would have never smelled. You guys can take a seat. But they also poured out. They poured out so much love, so much care, and they sacrificed to be with you guys this week. But I want to, because I know them, I've talked to them, and I also know when I was in their seat. I know that they didn't come up here because they had to. I knew they came up here because they believe in you. They came up here because they love you. They came up here because what we're talking about has transformed their lives. And they know, they know, they know that God wants to do the same thing in your life. And so they're going down the mountain with you. And so keep those relationships, keep those conversations, the things that happen in cabins, those deep conversations. Do not lose those. These people are here for you and they love you. All right, you guys there? Deuteronomy? Incredible. So here's the context. They have now made it through the wilderness. They have made it through the desert. They followed the pillar of smoke, the pillar of fire. They have made it through the wilderness. And Moses is 120 years old. That's older than Mrs. Tomohiro, <laughs> right? He is, he is about to die, right? Moses is 120 years old and he knows that he's about to die. God told him, hey, you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna cross the, the river Jordan to go into the promised land. And so you're, you're going to die. So it's not like a surprise, right? It's not like a sudden accident where something bad happens and all of a sudden he's gone. Like he knew he was going to die. He was preparing for it. So these are his final words. And like I said, you guys would choose the best meal. You guys would say the most important things if you knew they were your final words. So all of these words that we're about to read are charged with significance. They're charged with meaning because he knows that these are his final words. So Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. And this is after Moses has given them the Ten Commandments. He's told them what God's heart is for them. He's told them how much he loves them. In verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, well, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word, God's character, his scripture is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you can do it. Remember what I said earlier, how messed up would it be if God saved them from Egypt, brought them out of slavery with power, and then all of a sudden was like, you guys are good, right? You got it? You, you can figure it, figure it out now, right? You're good? That would be messed up if God freed Israel from slavery and then just said, figure it out. No, we learned that God is holy, right? We learned that God is just. We learned that he's loving, that he's present, that he's sovereign. He says, I am that I am, meaning he is consistent. There's never gonna be a moment where God says, hey, I love you, just kidding. God is consistent. There's no psych moments with him and he's not caught off guard by anything. We might be caught off guard by things in life. Things will come out of left field. Things will come out of the side and we don't know that it was gonna happen, but God's not caught off guard. But the same powerful God that traveled the impossible gap to save you is the same powerful God that sustains you. God did not save you from sin just so you can figure it out. He didn't just give you a ticket so you can go to heaven and then figure out the rest of life on your own. No, he, he saved you. He gave you life and freedom so you can be in a relationship with him and he teaches us how to live daily. God saves us and sustains us. He saved us into a relationship with him, right? He saved us into freedom with him to connect with him and to be in a relationship with him. Remember, God is the source of life. 
So if you want to know how to live life, if you want to step away from sin and death, you connect to the source of life, God himself. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be in a relationship with him. Now, I've been married for five and a half years. Yeah, thank you. If my wife were here, you should really be applauding her. She's had to put up with me. Um, I've been married for five and a half years, but, but imagine this, right? We went on a really cool honeymoon to Cancun. And so imagine we got back from our honeymoon and, and we had this conversation. I was like, hey, 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 okay, that honeymoon was awesome. I'm really glad you're my wife. You know, fend off all of the other ladies. You know, you can fend off all the other guys. Like we got rings to show for it, right? So we're married now. This is great. But let's just hang out. Maybe we can talk like one week over the summer, Okay. One week over the summer, we'll hang out and we'll talk. Um, but what we can also do is, is we can talk before meals. So we'll sit down and we'll have a meal together. We can talk before meals, but let's be honest, we're probably just going to say the same things. And then also before bed, we can talk, but babe, I'm going to be honest with you, I will fall asleep. <laughs> so we can talk before bed, I will fall asleep. And then on Sundays, we can also talk, but, but actually, I'm just going to tell someone else what I want to say to you, and then that person's going to talk to you. Would we have lasted five and a half years? No. no. Why? Because that's not a relationship. But that's what we do to God all the time. Hey, God, I'll give you camp. I'll come up here for outdoor education. I'll give you a week, and I'll talk to you that whole week. I'll be surrounded with you. Oh, I love to hang out with you during that week. And then I'm going to go home, and, and, and yeah, I'm going to pray before every meal. I'm going to talk to you before every meal, but I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to say thank you for this food. Bless it. Amen. And then maybe every once in a while I'll talk to you before I go to bed, but <laughs> I'm honest, Lord, I'm going to fall asleep. And then I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm not really going to talk to you, but I'm going to hear someone else who's talked to you, and they're going to tell me about you. That's not a relationship. In the same way that my marriage would not last unless I have a daily time where I talk with my wife, where I think about my wife, where we walk together. Even if we're not talking, we're together in relationship. She's present to me. I'm present with her. Because of that, because of that, we have a relationship. Relationships take communication. It's no different with our relationship with God. God speaks. He's not a God who said, I'm going to free you and figure it out. He's a God that says, I'm freeing you to be in relationship with me, which means he communicates to us. And he wants to communicate to you. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. As your eyes are closed and you're, you're listening, who is it that you hear is talking right now? Who's talking to you right now? You. Me. Okay, keep your eyes closed. How do you know it's me? How do you know that Jeb didn't come up here and just start talking to you? What, you know the sound of my voice, right? Is it because you've been listening to me this entire week? Okay, open your eyes. It was me this whole time. Congrats. You got it. You knew that it was my voice. Why? Because you had been listening to me, which means that even when you didn't see me, you recognized me. Even though you couldn't see me with your eyes, you knew how I sounded because you had been paying attention, hopefully, this whole week. You know what my voice sounds like because you've been listening, because you've been spending time, because you opened yourself up to hear my voice. John 10, verses 2 through 5, says this. This is Jesus talking to his friends, 
Like I said, Jesus had a lot of friends, and he says this, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To the gatekeeper, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Remember how God out of the burning bush said, Mose, Mose. He calls us by name. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. They do not know the voice of a stranger. And go down to verse 10. The thief, the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I love this. The sheep that's us, by the way, know his voice. We follow him because we know his voice. Now, this is why this is so important because we all have competing voices, do we not? And I'm talking about not just like people talking to you. I'm talking about the things that are in your head that you believe, the things that are in your heart, the things that you do that you really actually believe. There are competing voices that are vying for your attention all the time. These are voices that actually go against the rapid of God's love. God's saying, I love you, but these voices say, you're not good enough. You have a competing voice in your, in your head that says, you're not beautiful. You're not worth it. You have voices in your head that tell you that your camp experience, oh, that was just fake. You're going to have a competing voice in your head that says, only you can be trusted. Don't trust anybody else. You can trust yourself. Only trust yourself. Oh, hey, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, they're finally going to satisfy that need for love that you have in your life. You won't have to be lonely anymore if you get that boyfriend or girlfriend. I mean, God's not really that good. Look at everybody else. Everybody else seems to be doing okay. God's not that good. Don't you want the popularity that they have? You could have it. Don't you, don't you want what they have? Don't you want all of the other things they have? Look at everybody else. God doesn't provide for you. Remember that one time he didn't show up in that one time? God doesn't provide for you. He's not really that good. You can make your own rules. Now here's the thing. These voices sound pretty good sometimes, right? These voices, every once in a while you're like, hey, actually that kind of sounds good, you know? God said that he's love, and love is love, and so I should go love, and I'm going to love however the world tells me I should love, right? The voices all sound good. And, and so sometimes you can be like, oh, okay, cool, like, here I am, and I'm hearing this voice, and this voice is just saying, hey, you're just having fun. You're not hurting anybody, right? You're not hurting anybody. You're just, you're just having fun. This will give you life, and so you just kind of, there you go. Throw a little dirt on it, right? That'll give you life. You're not hurting anybody. This will be fun. This is, this is going to give you some life. And so you just throw some dirt on your life. And then, and then you walk around and you're like, oh, man, well, I, I mean, I know the truth. Stevie said it. God is love, right? God is love. And, and if God is love, he would want me to be happy, right? Wouldn't God want you to be happy if God is love? Well, that relationship, that's going to make you really happy. So splash zone. That's going to make you happy, right? So why don't you do that? 
Pour, pour a little bit of happiness in your life. That, that's going to give you life. That's going to make you happy. Pour a little dirt on it because you're not hurting anybody. Just go ahead and do that. Pour a little dirt, pour a little water on your life. That will give you life. That will make you happy and that will sustain you. But this is what it says in John 15. In John 15, it says this. I, Jesus, am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word, because of the Bible that I have spoken to you. Now abide or remain in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you are connected to me. I am the vine. You, your branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. See, in our lives, what we do is, is we hear all these other voices and these other voices say, this will give you life. You can go ahead and do that. That's gonna make you happy. And what we're doing is it's just an attempt to try to make ourselves alive. But we are a branch disconnected from a tree. And if you're disconnected from a tree, it does not matter how much dirt. It doesn't matter how much water. All of those things that are supposed to give you life. If you're disconnected from God, you will die. And so we walk around and we say, well, this will give me life. This will give me life. And if it's not God, it's not going to give you life. Sprinkling on some dirt and water doesn't give you life or freedom, right? They seem nice, but you're still just a dead branch. Only connecting to Jesus, only connecting to the vine can we live and walk in freedom. If we don't know the voice of God, if we don't know the source of life, we'll fall for anything. And like I said, other things sound good. This will make you happy. Love is love. You're not hurting anybody. Other things sound good, but if we don't know the voice of God, we will fall for anything. God speaks and we know his voice by his word. We know God's voice by his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, the Bible, is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God, the Bible, is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love this passage because the Bible is living and active. You guys ever read the Bible and all of a sudden it like hits you in the chest and you're like, whoa, 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 it's coming after my motives. And the Bible just speaks to you and it speaks to your situation. It speaks to your character, the things that you were doing. And all of a sudden the Bible is living and active and it's talking to you. There's a reason why scripture is called a blade and not a bullet. Because bullets, bullets are destructive. Blades are meant for separation and surgery. Bullets are meant to destroy things, but a blade, a scalpel, is meant for separation and surgery. So when we read this, and I don't just mean skim it, you know, like you did for your English class, right? You skim your book. 
When we actually read this, when we stick our nose in this, and we spend time looking at this and, and thinking about the words and letting it speak to us, when we spend time in this, it does stuff to us. It changes us. It connects us to the source of life. It's not sprinkling on dirt and water. It is connecting us to the source of life. So here's a couple things that the Bible does. The Bible speaks to your life today. Now here's what the Bible's not gonna do. When you open up the Bible and you're wondering, should I date Susie? The Bible's not gonna tell you, date Susie. <laughs> the Bible isn't gonna tell you what you should do or what class you should take. The Bible's not gonna tell you when you're feeling hungry, should I go to Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? Unless it's Sunday, it for sure's In-N-Out, right? The Bible, the Bible's not gonna do that. It's not gonna tell you what to do in those certain situations, but it's gonna give you wisdom and it's gonna give you direction. So it's not gonna tell you whether or not you should date Susie, but it'll tell you what a person who follows the Lord looks like. It'll show you what kind of person you should be. And you know what? If Susie isn't following Jesus, if Susie doesn't look like someone who looks like Jesus, then you shouldn't date Susie. The Bible's not gonna say don't date Susie, but it's gonna say, hey, this is what Jesus looks like. Do you wanna be dating that? So the Bible speaks to our life today. The Bible also shapes us to look like Jesus. You probably dress the way you dress. You probably make the jokes that you, that you joke about. You probably play the certain video games you play. You, you talk the way that you talk because of the people you hang out with. Because you're shaped by your friends. You're shaped by your family. You look like the people who you're in relationship with. And so when we spend time in relationship to Jesus, spending time looking at him, talking to him, spending time with him, we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to love like Jesus. We begin to have compassion and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness like Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus, we begin to look like Jesus. When we read the Bible, we get shaped. This also shows us who God is. You can look at the stars and you can know there is a God who is mighty and he is powerful and he is a creator. You can look at the trees and be like, man, God, God did some crazy, intricate things. He is so creative. You can know these things from creation, but the reality is it's in the Bible that we see that God is holy. It's in the Bible that we see God is just, that he is present, that he is sovereign. The Bible shows us who God is. This is spoken out by God about God. If you want to know what God is like, ask him. He, ta he tells us. So we can know who God is by his Bible, by his word. God is the main character of the Bible. I think oftentimes we read the Bible and we think, man, this is all about me. No, it's about God. But can I tell you, Genesis says that we were made in his image. So if you want to know who you are, if you want to know what kind of worth that you have, if you want to know what kind of dignity you have, if you want to know how loved you are, get to know who God is. You can only know who you are if you know who God is. We're made in his image, not the other way around. We're made in God's image. And then the Bible also surgically removes things that are stealing our life. So this is what we do pretty often. We open up the Bible and we go, man, I really like that part where it says Jesus died for me. You guys like that part, right? I think that part's awesome. Jesus died for me? That is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, but this part that says don't lust, I don't like that. I don't like that part. That part stinks. Love is love. 
But the, oh, the, I like this part right here in the Bible where it says, man, I am wonderfully made. I'm beautiful. I'm worthy. Oh, I, love, I am pretty awesome, right? I love that in the Bible. It says I'm great. Love your enemies. <laughs> Forgive those that hurt you. No way. Canceled. Get out of here. I don't like that part. I don't like that part. Oh, this, this part that says one day, one day, God, you're going to wipe away every tear. One day, you're going to take away all the hardships. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow. I cannot wait. Oh, but this verse, it says you will experience hardships in this world. Nah. Love God with everything. Pick up your cross and follow me. No. I don't like that. It wasn't actually the Bible, by the way. Here's what we do. I love that you cared about the Bible enough. I, I genuinely love that. But let's be honest. We do that. We say, God, I really like those parts where you affirm how awesome I am. I really like those parts where you make me feel comfy and cozy. But the parts where you tell me that there's some areas that maybe are killing and destroying my life. There are areas where I'm turned sideways to the rapids of your love and you want me to step away from what's killing me and step into life. But honestly, those feel kind of good. We like the comfort of slavery rather than the courage it takes to be free. And so we end up ripping those things out of the Bible and we're like, I'm not gonna pay attention to that. Or I'm gonna redefine that so it can kind of fit within the lifestyle I want. We make God in our image, not the other way around. No, 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 we're made in God's image. And God tells us who he is. We don't tell God who he is. We try to box God in. And what we essentially say is, God, you're not holy. You're not sovereign. You're not good. I super reign. You don't. And so we let our sin, we let our desire to control grow like cancer within us. Sin is like a cancer that grows within us. And God wants to take a sword. He wants to take scripture and he wants to cut the cancerous sin out of us so that we can have life. But what we end up doing when we're pulling pages out of the Bible is we take what's supposed to be a sword and we dull it down until it's a metal rod that's only good for beating people with. And we have seen how the Bible has been misused to hurt people. We've seen how the Bible has been misused to do harm to people. But the Bible isn't, isn't meant to harm, it's meant to heal. The Bible is meant to heal and not to harm. It says hard things. It will tell you that you probably shouldn't be living that way. It'll tell you how you should speak. It'll tell you how you should love and have compassion. It says hard things, but here's the reality. Surgery hurts sometimes. But surgery is good. Because without surgery, we'd be walking around with cancerous sin in our life. Without God's word of life, we are like a limb. We are like a branch, disconnected from the source of life, covered in dirt and water, thinking that we're good to go, but the reality is, is we are slowly dying. So I want to go back to John 15, 12 through 17. It says this, this is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You, everybody in this room, are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You, do not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Isn't that a beautiful thing of Jesus that he doesn't call you servant, he calls you friend. Jesus calls you friend. It's about relationship. He doesn't want you to be a disconnected limb. He wants to be close to you. He wants to give you life. And so the Bible is also comforting. The Bible is also comforting. It speaks to us. It shows us God's love. It shows us and reminds us of the freedom that we have in him. It reminds us that God is sovereign. And so even though you're going through chaos in your life, even though things are falling through, even though there's anxiety all around you, you can trust that God is in control and we know how the story ends. It teaches us how to live this new life of freedom. It speaks and we know his voice. Now, we don't read the Bible out of obligation. Like no one's going to twist your arm to say, hey, you, you have to read the Bible because that's, that's again just like trying to throw dirt and water on a, on a limb. The Bible isn't meant to be read just out of obligation. The Bible is meant to be read out of relationship. So when we read the Bible, we, we shouldn't come to it and say, okay, I got to do my like, you know, check. I got to check the box today because I'm going to read the Bible. No, we need to read the Bible because we say, God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to know who you are. God, I want to be connected to the source of life. God, I want to hear from you. And so when we get into the Bible, we want to say, God, I want a relationship with you. That's why we read the Bible. And I know you guys might even be in Bible classes, and those are incredible that you have that. And so sometimes this could be homework. And so I want to be really honest right now. I'm a pastor, which means that so much of my job is reading the Bible. And I love it. I genuinely do. It speaks to me. It shapes me. I am who I am today because of how God's words have shaped me. But if I'm also honest, I want to speak to the reality is that sometimes it's hard to read the Bible. In the same way that sometimes you don't want to go to soccer practice. In the same way as sometimes you don't want to go to school or you don't want to hang out with your family. You just kind of want to isolate in a room because our emotions are up and down. There are times when I'm like, I don't know if I want to read the Bible. But I do it anyways. And here's what I'm saying. It's not out of obligation. Again, I do it because I know I need it. I do it because I know that if I'm not listening to the voice of God, if I'm not connecting with the source of life, I am a horrible person. I know that I, I just become someone who's not pleasant to be around. I know that if I'm not connecting to the voice of God, if I'm not spending time with God, that there's cancerous sin that grows in me and I start walking in a direction, I turn sideways to God's love. And so there are times when I don't want to read the Bible and I do it anyways. And there are other times when I'm reading the Bible and it's like everything is highlighted, everything is speaking, everything is so clear and I love it. It's like eating the best steak and lobster ever. There are times when the Bible is pleasant and there are times when the Bible is really tough. And in both times, I do it anyways because this is the source of life. And so the final thing I want to say is there's this story of Jesus and he gave a really hard teaching. And he, he told this whole crowd of people, he says, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which is super weird to say to people, 
He says, unless you do that, you have no part with me. And, and, and the crowd was like, this is a hard teaching. And it said that the majority of the crowd left. Just abandoned Jesus. They're like, no, no, that's a hard teaching. We don't want to pay attention anymore. And so then Jesus turns to his best friends, his buddies. He turned to Peter. And he said, are you guys going to leave me too? And I love what Peter said. Peter doesn't always get it right, but he got it right right here. And Peter turned to Jesus. And even though he said it was a hard teaching, he said, you have the words of life. Where else would I go? My prayer for us. Yeah, we can, yeah let's clap for that. My prayer for all of you is that when times are tough, and even if Jesus says some hard things to you, if you have to make a decision to start following Jesus, which means that you're not going to be walking in the way that you used to walk before, and maybe some friends leave you, or if something difficult in your life is happening, and you're like, God, where are you right now? It's really hard to trust that you're sovereign. It's really hard to trust that you're good. It's really hard to trust that you love me and that you say that I'm worthy when all these other people aren't proving it. In those moments, my prayer for you is that you would, like Peter, say, Jesus, you alone have the words of life. Where else would I go? Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we end like that. You alone have the words of life. And so God, fill us with your life. Fill us with your word. Fill us with your truth. God, we don't want to follow you from a distance, but we want to follow you closely. God, we want to know who you are. We want to know your your character. We want to know your love. We want to know everything about you in the same way that we want you to know everything about us. So God, we want to tell you everything about us. We want to be in a relationship with you. And so God, I pray for each and every one of these students that right now, that you would put heavy in their heart a desire to read your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to them clearly. I pray that you would give them endurance when it's difficult. And I pray that you would give them joy and peace and hope and love, and patience, and satisfaction in your word. God, would you fill them up with the fruit of your spirit, and would you shape them to look like you? We love you, Jesus, and this entire week, but our entire lives we give to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.